You know, as uh, you're aware, we had um, a baptism service at our youth event, Revolution Youth event, on Friday night. So six candidates were baptised. Some of them are here today. And uh, it was a fantastic event. It was wonderful to hear their stories, their testimonies. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's always a powerful thing when people make that stand for Jesus. Um, and it was also good, you know, as part, well, we, we ran something, if you're not aware, we ran something more like a church service. So we started with, um, we'd started with the barbecue, but then we had praise and worship in here, and four of the members of the band were high school students. And uh, then I shared the gospel, and, uh, and then we heard their testimonies. Then we went next door, where the baptistry is, because the Arabic church didn't need it for Friday night, so um, we performed the baptisms in uh, the auditorium next door, but uh, it all worked out very well. So in the future, that may be how we do baptism services. It did go very well. And I do know there's some other teenagers that are thinking about baptism as well. So next term, we may do the same sort of service. I thought I'd share a message today that actually does relate to someone as they're making new stands for Christ. It's really a message that I think is helpful for the new believer and I, I, I title this uh, message the parable of the soils, the parable of the soils. I know some people call it the parable of the sower, but it's largely about four different types of soil. And so I prefer this title. But just leading into uh, this message, let me tell this story about John. John's an American chap who I read about in Challenge magazine. Now, John had uh, grown up in what he would call an idyllic childhood. As a little boy, uh, he and his sister enjoyed times together with mum and dad, and it was really what he would consider a perfect childhood. When he was five years of age, he and his sister went to a park with their dad, as they'd done so many times before. You know, swings and play equipment and all that, and silly games, and they had a ball. And then dad gave each of them a hug and said goodbye. And he meant goodbye. They did not see him again until they were adults. What this little five-year-old John didn't know is mum and dad were going through a divorce. And for whatever reason, um, I don't know if dad left the country or what he did, but they never saw him again for a very, very long time. John at that point said, something happened in my heart. I felt that anything, anyone I really love, I'm going to lose it. It's going to leave me. He started going to school and then later high school and perhaps because he had quite a few years without a dad, he wasn't good at sport, couldn't do the American football thing, couldn't hit a baseball and it's just a little bit effeminate and he used to get stirred about that, bullied about that and lots of name calling. Sissy, gay boy, you know, all that sort of stuff. In high school, it really got quite severe, to the point where he just was not coping with being at school. And um, he would take his mum's alcohol, strong alcohol, and by the time he was 14, he had a serious alcohol problem. It's not all doom and gloom. I remember when he was 15, his account, he met a Christian girl at the school, high school, and she was really lovely. And they used to quite often have conversations one night on the phone. He's chatting with her at length and she's sharing with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way she shared, it really impacted his heart and he wanted Jesus to be a part of his world. He invited 
and kneeling and he's um, on, on the floor in his home, on the phone, he invites Jesus into his life as Lord and Saviour. And it really impacted him. But the boys at school found out. And they had something else now to stir him about. You stupid Jesus freak, religious nut. And after a while, he just thought, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. It's just another thing to be picked on. I'm not doing the God thing. When he was 17, uh, he was invited to a gay bar. He never got invited anywhere. He really didn't have much in the way of friends. And he thought, oh, what the hell, I'll go. Well, as he turned up at the gay bar, he, he said, I felt strangely attracted to the whole scene. He went several times and he met Carl. And Carl and he formed a friendship, formed a relationship, formed a gay relationship, and they moved in together. But after about a year, Carl, as he puts it, dumped him. He was devastated. He moved back home with his mum. He left high school. He couldn't cope with those, that final kind of year of high school, and life was awful. He attempted suicide. After a while, um, partly because of the people he connected with, uh, he decided he would become a gay prostitute. Very good-looking young man. And he would be dropped off at a hotel, often a very posh hotel, and paid extremely good money. He did this for quite a while, but as he writes about it, he says it was a, a really soul-destroying thing and I decided I'd leave it. Around this time, one of his friends, who was a cross-dresser, said, John, let me make you up. And he's quite talented with makeup, and did all the, the makeup, a funky wig, ladies' dress, and John says, I looked into the mirror, and I saw a beautiful young woman looking back at me. From this point on, he started to cross-dress. He had a bit of a talent for mimicking famous women. And some of his friends said, why don't you see if you can get a comedy gig at one of the comedy clubs? You're really funny. And he did. He auditioned and he started to get work, quite a lot of work. In fact, uh, he was doing really well. Uh, his name would often be up in lights. His character was Candy, Candy appearing tonight. And he was enjoying this. Uh, he would um, get invited to pretty high-end parties where there were quite famous people there. And uh, he was enjoying living the high life. But with all the recreational drug use and the, the scene that he was a part of, kind of the fast lane, and he talked to his shrink, as Americans call them, on one occasion, and his psychiatrist said to him, look, John, I, know, I, can, I can see it's a lot of fun, but I don't think you'll be with us much longer if you keep living this lifestyle. And when he said that, John thought, you know, he's right. I know he's right. And he thought, you know what, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it anymore. So he packed up all of his female attire, his wigs, his makeup, and he threw it all into a big dumpster and said, goodbye, Candy, I don't need you anymore. And there must have been something in the providence of God at this point. It seemed to be a pivotal time in his life, because right around that time, he got talking with a pastor. And one night on the phone, the pastor's chatting with him at length, sharing the reality of Jesus Christ. And John says to him, oh, you're talking about the born-again thing. 
I did that when I was 19. It didn't, when I was 15, it didn't work. Okay, anyway, I'm gay. I was born gay. How, that's gonna, how is that going to work in a Christian community? And the pastor goes on to say to him, look, John, you are made in God's image. God loves you. He loves you no matter what. But, you know, I believe that God in the beginning created males and he created females. I believe you're gay because you've chosen to be John. I know there's a chromosome thing, but that's like about one in a hundred thousand gay people. That's the reason they're gay. For most people, it is simply a choice. And he talked on and on, and uh, the more he talked about God's love and God's acceptance, John again, almost the same scenario, he found himself at home, on the phone, talking to a Christian, and again, there on his knees, invited Jesus into his heart. And as he did that, it was a similar experience. He felt something of God, became a part of his world, the reality of the Holy Spirit. And he knew that there were things in his life the Lord wouldn't be happy with. One of the things he did is he packed up all of his pornography. He says he, he said he had heaps of it. He threw it all out. He really wanted this relationship with Jesus to last this time. And so he did some searches. And he found a Bible college in another state, actually, of America, not where he was living. But he looked at their program, and they had a very sensitive program for people from a gay background. And he decided he would, he would do that course, a one-year Bible college commitment. He went across and did that. And he said the community there was absolutely amazing. He felt embraced. He felt loved. He felt understood. And in the journey of all this, he really enjoyed catching up with a girl called Anne. She got him. They laughed together. They had fun together. And then he shares... I could see I was falling in love with her. And I realised that probably what that pastor said is actually true. I was gay because I chose to be gay. I was actually no more gay than anyone else. Uh, it was a choice. And now I feel these deep feelings of love for Anne. Some of you, as you're listening today, you might be thinking, yeah, but it's illegal to give people advice about their sexuality, you can't do that. Well, you know, um, it, 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 you can get in trouble for not giving advice too. Pamela was just sharing an article with me, um, it's just going on right now in Sydney, a 19-year-old lady, um, she had decided to identify as a guy and she talked with her psychiatrist and she wanted to have a full sex change and have a womb removed, and all that happened in Sydney. She has now changed her mind. She wants to be a woman, and she's furious she can't have kids, and she is suing the psychiatrist because he didn't give her any advice. It can go bad whether you give advice or not give advice. <laughs> That's the reality, friends. But for John, he proposed to Anne and they got married. The wedding ceremony was beautiful, beautifully put together. His mum came along and his stepdad. And they were so touched knowing the whole journey John had been on. They both gave their lives to Christ. 
And John, he's a family man now, committed to Jesus. And he would say, I explored so many things in life and I realised that deep down what I really wanted was Jesus in my heart to fill me, to be with me, to be close to me. And when I truly discovered that, I realised that's what I was looking for all the time. But I raise this question about the story. Why is it it didn't work for John the first time? Because you know the setting was almost identical. He's at his home, he's on the phone with a Christian, he prays a prayer, inviting Jesus into his life as Lord and Saviour. It's almost identical, all the circumstances. The first time it didn't last, the second time it did. Now why is that? Because that's the case with, that's a, that's the case with many people. Well, let me suggest the passage we're looking at today gives us the answers. Let's, let's uh, actually um, have a look at an artist's uh, rendition of, uh, of what this parable can look like, Jesus telling the story. Let's have a look at this clip. Let me read the passage for you today. Luke 8, 4 through 8. While a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering some seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plant withered because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Then Jesus said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Let me ask you the question, what do the various elements represent in that story? The seed. Someone put up a hand and tell me, what does a seed represent? Word of God? Great. Um, what does the, who does the farmer represent? Who does the farmer represent? Put up a hand and tell me. Anyone who shares the word of God? Anyone who shares the word? You become the farmer, Mareka. You share the word of God? Birds. What are the, who do the birds represent? Sue. Satan. It says that the birds, well, the sparrows, it were an illustrative thing, device of Satan coming and snatching away the word of God. The thorns. What do the thorns represent? Yeah, worries of this world. What else did they say? Worry, riches and worries of this world. Cares of this world. And finally, what do the different types of soil represent? What do the different types of soil represent? Sue? Our hearts, different type of hearts. Fantastic. All right. Um, so often um, we find in the scriptures... Jesus, although sometimes he says things that do come across somewhat mystical, often when you read the passage in context, it becomes clear. And this is no exception. Jesus explains, as we saw in the clip, he explains the parable. Let me break it up. 8.11, it says this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And I, I've seen that in people's lives. 
I've done quite a bit of um, street evangelism. By the way, um, one of my friends from uh, my old church, uh, he just gave me, uh, I'm in a little chat group with a few of the blokes from there, and he was just telling me, hey, if you want to do some train, um, train evangelism at the tra local train station, um, actually it's at the, at the Rosanna one, um, he said, Ben Price, comedian Ben Price is going to be there sharing the gospel if you want to join him. I know Ben, actually. Uh, anyway, but uh, just a side thing. And I've seen that go well, but I've also seen many times where I've shared the gospel in that sort of environment, street evangelism, we often refer to it as, where someone has committed their life to Christ. You've shared the gospel, they've believed, they've prayed, they've even given you your number, their number. Call them up a couple of days later, and even though they seem so sincere, and God definitely moved, they said, oh, yeah, I don't know why I prayed that prayer. No, I don't believe that anymore. What's happened? I've heard, that's happened to me many times. I've had that story. What's happened? The devil has come in and the word of God has sat on their heart. But because their heart is hard, it was never able to really take root. And the evil one was able to quickly pluck it away and remove it. That's the first category of people. They're generally people in that situation are not going to be at church unless it's some sort of evangelistic outreach. So I'm not talking with anyone here today. But the next two categories, perhaps they may be of interest. 8.13, it says, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. That's the Luke version. Let me give you the Mark version. This is in three of the four Gospels, so it's obviously important, this, this parable. Mark 4, 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. You got the idea. Stony soil. The plant sprouts up quickly and it may look healthy for a time but, you know, in really hot weather, it doesn't have enough moisture and it shrivels and dies. And Jesus it, it refers to that time of testing that comes. And that will come in every Christian's life. Following Jesus is never going to be easy. It will be easy some of the time, but it's never going to be easy all of the time. All of us will go through serious challenges and trials at times. It's a testing of our faith. I had a friend uh, who uh, sprouted up quickly. Um, he was a very talented musician and songwriter. And uh, he was in a, a Christian band. He was a new convert at the time. And uh, they were performing at some of the um, Youth Dimension coffee shops or, as they're called today, Blue Mooses. And so um, and I, I was connected with the Youth Dimension coffee shops. They'd often get me to mix sound for them just because there wasn't anyone there to do it. Um, but they were fabulous. This guitarist guy was awesome. He really, really gifted. Anyway, I mean, he, used to, he had an FM guitar and so were the coffee tables all around. He'd come flying out to play a solo and jump on one of the coffee tables so there was no guitar lead, you know, so move about really freely. He was fantastic. Anyway, got to know him. We hit it off because, you know, both play guitar and all that. And I started to disciple this guy. And he was looking really healthy. He'd really sprouted up as a strong Christian. But there were stones. And I found that the guys in the band had very little respect for him. And I didn't really know why. But they said, and I started, they started to tell me because I knew some of them as well. I said, well, you know, one night, you know, after a gig, he'll be sharing the gospel with someone, you know. Two weeks later, he's chatting up some girl and he'll sleep with her that night. 
And he just does that all the time. And it's probably fair to say that there were times when he really felt guilty about this because he knew this is outside of Jesus' teaching. Jesus teaches that you're to choose one person, that sex is for marriage only, and you're to be committed to that person for life. And so he, was very, he felt very guilty about what he was doing, but he just found he did it again and again and again. There were times when he got so guilty about it, um, he would drink a couple of bottles of bourbon. I, you've heard that phrase, blind drunk? He was blind drunk. He could not see. He had lost his vision completely. I've actually, to be honest, I've never seen a friend so drunk in my life. Um, in the journey of all this, this chap fell away. And he ended up deciding, yeah, Christians talk too much about sin. Jesus is just one of many paths to God. There are many paths to God. You just choose whatever path you want to choose. And he, his faith, the plant, it shriveled up, it died. He didn't see Jesus as the divine son of God anymore. Those stones needing, needed dealing with. Think what it says in the book of James, 121. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. It can save you. Um, it may not save you. You've got the idea. If the word of God goes into the heart, the hard path, sparrow, took it away, person, you know, their faith in Jesus lasted for a matter of days and that was it. For another person, the seed goes in, the plant, they seem to spring up and become a strong Christian really quickly. But it didn't last. And that's a story for some people. Let's have a look at another one. 8.14, it says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. He mentions three things in this passage. Worries, riches, and pleasures. What's he talking about? Well, first of all, worries. The anxieties, insecurities, worried about what people think of you, general stresses of life, being accepted, fitting in becomes more important than standing up for Jesus. You name it. But what Jesus is saying is there, it's, uh, that reality, they're like weeds. The, the soil's not bad soil, but it's not just got the plant of God's word growing up, it's got weeds growing up, thorns, thistles. And they have the potential to choke God's word if they're not pulled out. Another one is riches. I remember when I was in um, Sydney, um, there's a lot of Christians there would... Uh, try and beat the peak hour traffic so they'd head off at six in the morning and then try and miss the peak hour traffic and so head back home at seven at night. Long days, earning huge dollars. But their lives became so busy often they had very little room to develop their relationship with God or to serve and to build God's kingdom. And you could see the, the priorities weren't right. The, 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 the need, the desire for riches and successful career, getting ahead in life, that had become more important to them than God's word. Those weeds were choking God's word. One more. He says pleasures. 
pleasures. And that can just be a whole bunch of things, not necessarily sinful things. It can be sport, friends, parties, computer games, music, entertainment, all of those things. All of those things. Um, none of which are bad in and of themselves, but when just having fun, when being entertained, when those things become more important than your relationship with God, they become like weeds and they can choke the seed of God's word, the plant growing up in our hearts. It says in Mark 4-7, this is another rendition of the account, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things came in and choked the word, making it unfruitful. And so here Jesus is saying the problem is if those weeds are not dealt with, all of us may have stones and weeds we need to deal with from time to time, but if they're left unchecked, it has the potential to strangle God's word to the point where that person never becomes fruitful. Now remember, just recently, Brett Mitchell talked about a passage all about that. Let me quote a couple of the verses. John 15, 7 through 8, it says, If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Wow. The passage is actually saying the evidence of fruit in the Christian's life is a sign they're the real deal. They're a genuine disciple. Uh, what's fruit? Well, let me simply suggest that the bottom line in that passage that Jesus is talking about is reproduction. Just as a grapevine produces grapes, so the Christian should produce disciples. And so fruit bearing is, I'm going to be doing stuff to build God's kingdom, to see people disciple, to see the church grow, to see the, the kingdom of God flourish. But if I don't really have time for that, well, that would indicate the question about, well, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Can I really be confident that the plant of God's word in my heart is alive and vibrant? Or is it going to die. Luke 8 15 it says but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and persevere by producing a crop. Wow. I wonder how do you become a healthy soil Christian? What do you need to do? What do you need to do to cultivate the plant of God's word and make it strong? Well, let me suggest um, one of the verses that's encouraged for people to memorise in the Navigator series is this one, Acts 2.42. Describes the early church, what they did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The early church were committed to listening to the apostles preach. At that time, they didn't have a physical copy of a New Testament. They couldn't read it. Not that literacy was that high at that time anyway, but they were committed to listening to the apostles preach. And the passage goes on to say that they didn't run a church service just on the first day of the week. They met in the temple courts every day they had a church service so they could listen to the preached word of God very regularly. Uh, for you and I, we can read the Bible. Um, we can listen to preaching 
online. And of course, any messages you miss that we're running as a church, we always do put them online so you can catch up or hear it again even. Um, we have the opportunity to listen to the Word of God as well, you know, online. And um, so we have plenty of opportunities to indeed get the Word of God into our lives. That is essential to help us grow, to have good soil. Another one is this. Um, it says they were, they were also devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. What's the fellowship? Well, the fellowship is... This type of thing, you know, after a church service, we hang out together. We spend time with Christians together. We had a barbecue on Friday night, quite a big gathering of us. You know, it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff, communicating together, connecting together. And um, any Christian is going to struggle if they don't do that. You know, we do not do well alone. We need fellowship with other believers. You know, it tells us in the book of Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Um, the passage is saying, of course, back then too, a couple of thousand years ago, people could ne neglect the assembling of themselves together then as well. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. We need to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need to encourage one another. Don't neglect getting together for fellowship. And there's one more area. I'll, I'll group them together. The breaking of bread and prayer. The breaking of bread most likely speaks of communion. Praying, communion, singing songs of praise to God. That whole spiritual dimension, that's important as well, just like we've done today as we've sung praises today, just like last week when we had communion together as a church. Your prayer, praise, communion, that's all important too. You get those three things happening in your life. And you're giving yourself a good chance to maintain healthy soil in the heart. You neglect those three things, you're going to struggle. And you may be risking whether or not that plant is going to survive, the plant of God's word in your heart. Let me read the whole passage. It's a great passage, actually, the snapshot there of the early church and what they considered a priority. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, I mentioned this, didn't I? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Friends, I want to open it up today because some of you, you might have friends, you might have family members, or it might be you yourself. And you're thinking, hey, look, I've got, I've got some stones in my heart or I've got some weeds that need pulling out. Feel free to come forward for prayer today. Happy to pray with anyone who'd like to be prayed for about that, whether it's for yourself or it's, whether it's for a friend or family member, because the reality is people are falling away. And my understanding is from other pastors about one-third of people in churches in Melbourne simply have just not returned. You and I can be praying that people come back. You and I can be reaching out to encourage people back into fellowship. As the worship team returns, let me pray for you now.
Father, here this morning, we just want to ask that by your grace, you'd help us to um, just honestly look at the seed of God's word, the priority of cultivating a heart where it flourishes, where it grows, where it's vibrant, where it's alive. So help us in this journey, Lord. And I pray that we would make it a real priority. And I pray today, too, if people are thinking, hey, look, I've got this friend I really, I really want them prayed for. I've got this issue in my own heart. I really need this, this weed pulled out. Father, we pray that each of us would have courage to respond to the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen.